Here we are. On this episode of The Dusty Allen Show, I talk to my very good mate Trav McKenzie, a man who has endured some strange and challenging times both personally and professionally. He's a talented man, that Trav, or T-Mac, as he's sometimes known. Did you know that he once held two full-time jobs at the same time? Yep, that talented. We also talk about what it's like to actually do scary stuff, like shit that actually scares you. Find out about the day he describes when his business balls dropped when he had a meeting with one of Donald Trump's right-hand men. He also shares the amusing story of how he got over not being drafted to the AFL in the year 2000, and now why he's never been happier. He also reveals why he didn't really like me when we first met 10 years ago, but thankfully he smartened up and got around me, and more importantly, got on the Dusty Allen Show. Let's do it. Travis McKenzie, welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Dusty, it's great to be here, mate. I am a big fan of the show. I definitely was your first five-star and uh, review on Apple iPodcast thing. I definitely left the first review. Let's just say that. <laughs> it sounds like you're pretty familiar with the platform, the Apple iPodcast review yeah, stuff. Yeah, Is yeah. that the, oh, the yeah. one? Mate, I, I, you know the thing in um, Zoolander when they say the files are in the computer? That's me just banging away at the, <laughs> at the keyboard, <laughs> leaving review after review after review on my favorite podcasts. Do you think it's it's become similar now to, say, like, uh, Facebook posts or Instagram is like first like you know people yeah. would put a little comment on there as well it should be if it's not it should be and I I'm going to start that I actually um, just trademarked it uh, bought the domain name uh, firstlike.com yep. and uh, here we are so well there you go you might uh, might be a sponsor for the Dusty Allen show <laughs> brought Mate, to you I, by firstlike.com I actually am very proud of you I, um, I'm I'm stoked to be able to come and, and have a conversation with you I think you are made for this and it's you've done a great job in the first couple of episodes so I'm honored to be here and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity it is approaching midnight here uh, in Boston but um, I'll do I'll do anything for you I'll show up at any time any place. You always have, mate, and I appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words. Um, yeah, definitely something that's been been a, in the works and particularly aware now that I, I want people to know that I'm, I'm not just another asshole with a podcast. This has been two years in the making and I've procrastinated and wanted to get it right. And we actually recorded 18 months ago, more than that now, yeah. um, if something like that. And... Yeah, I thought this isolation time that we're in is no better time to uh, to connect. There's a lot's going on, and I know we've got uh, got lots to say. But yeah, wanted to. I'm I'm stoked to have you on the show because you're a very very interesting human, and we don't just get B graders on here on the Dusty Allen show, mate. We get uh, you know top shelf sort of stuff. So all those who have reached out to me and would like to be on the show, take note. That, you know we. Uh, Need some good yarns on here. It's not just a uh, a soapbox to get up there and shout stuff out. So, yeah, a lot of uh, pressure. A lot of pressure too. I, um, you know, I I sent a letter to you. I I wrote you an email. I sent you a text begging to get on the show. And I think it was probably, uh, it was probably the tweet that I sent you that got me on in the end. And and I feel the pressure. I I've got to, you know, I've got to live up to the 
the Dusty Allen Show name, as you say. <clears throat> no B-listers, so, um, yeah, here we are. Here we are. Mate, so speaking of here we are, you said you're in Boston, and you, I can see you're looking around your, your home office there. How's, how's ISO life going? As we, as we record, this is mid or late April now. Um, yeah, how's, how's things, mate? How are you, how are you coping with ISO life? Yeah, uh, it's 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 been a bit of a roller coaster to be honest, Dusty. I um, I came home from a work trip. Um, not a lot of people know this actually. I came home from a work trip uh, the beginning of March, very very early on in March, and um, it was starting to to hit the news here uh, in the US, and I actually felt really sick. So I, um, you know, it was four or five days and I listened to the, the episode with Kieran and kind of heard his story. Um, I went to, I was, I traveled through New York. I traveled through LA. I traveled through Atlanta. It was kind of all these hotspots um, at the time and ended up being sick for four or five days, went to the doctor, uh, called my doctor and they said, um, yep, go to the emergency clinic. There's going to be procedures to go through. Um, when you get there, you'll put a mask on, et cetera, et cetera. And I uh, told them, you know, all my symptoms, all the things I was going through. And they basically said to me, are you, or do you know of anyone, um, have you had contact with anyone who has had it? Uh, or have you traveled to China? Basically with the questions. And I said no to both. And they said, well, we don't have the capacity to test you and sent me home. Um, I was lucky my family was in Maine at the time. They said, don't go near your family for as long as you can, kind of isolate yourself. Um, so I became, you know, I, I still don't know whether or not I had COVID, coronavirus, but I became very aware then. I, I said to my wife, let's pull our daughter out of childcare. Um, I said, let's stay home, let's kind of isolate ourselves. So before it became a, you know, an order, a stay-at-home order um, here in, in Massachusetts in the US, we decided to do that ourselves. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of just escalated from there. <laughs> we, my wife, we've got a we've got a three-year-old daughter, we've got a three-month-old son. Uh, so we've got two kids. Childcare is obviously closed. Uh, my wife went back to work this week after her maternity leave. So this was our first week of two kids and two working adults at home and trying to really juggle schedules and, and take care of each other. Um, long story short, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, there's moments where I'm super grateful and happy that we're all healthy and safe and uh, get to have this time together. And then there's times where the world feels like it's burning. And, uh, you know, especially here in the US, it's it's news constantly you have to re i have to really make a choice not to look at the news and and look at twitter yeah. and all of those things because it's really sad um i also think that it's i know a couple of people you know who have tested positive and they they've you know they're on their way to recovery so i still feel distant to the the bad things that are happening the people that are dying and and all of that so it still feels like it's happening somewhere else um, but in reality, it's happening around the corner, and Massachusetts is the you know the third most cases in the U.S. So we're definitely not out of the out of the weeds, um, but we're we've done a good job kind of isolating ourselves and and you know keeping keeping healthy and doing every everything we can to make sure other people are healthy as well. Yeah, it's given the fact that words thrown around a lot, but unprecedented, and you know not knowing what to do or there's no guidelines and arguably 
the direction that is probably given from the top in the states would you you know being polite would be say like inconsistent uh at best so you kind of feel like you know i think common sense is what really rolls through here as well but you know that even seems to be uh, in short supply at times and tuning out from the news mate is is huge yeah yeah i don't i don't well when i say i don't watch it i literally put the first five minutes on just to see if there's any major updates or addresses from the the leaves then just turn it off because i feel like the rest is all just trash yeah we um we haven't had tv for a while like we you know we do netflix and we will you know we'll buy certain shows on through itunes or whatever but i uh, so, so we don't have the news. It's not like we put the TV on, on in the morning. We don't get the newspaper. So I have to actively go and look at Twitter or something where I, you know, if I'm interested in finding out something, I have to go and seek it out. So I think that's a little bit easier, and I've been really cognizant to um, limit that time. You know, the first, the first couple of weeks, honestly, in March, I was, I'd probably stay up until midnight just rolling through Twitter and watching all the horrible things and you know the models of how many cases are going to be in the US and I realized that that wasn't serving me um, and I think honestly the you know you talk about the leadership from the top and you know I don't think we need to talk about it it's kind of laughable but I the thing that I really struggle with like we you know, you go to an essential service, you go to a grocery store or you, you know, you, whatever you go and pick up takeout every now and again. Um, and there's people who still just don't, it seems like they don't understand. Like there's groups of people who are clearly not living in the same house who are walking together, riding their bike together, you know, going and sitting in a car park together. So it's, that's frustrating, you know, and there's parts of the country in here in the U S that have, that have opened up already that, you know, Georgia opened its, uh, you know, a list of, you know, they rolled out past essential services. So they opened gyms on Friday, they opened barber salons, they opened all of these things that you, mm. you kind of like, it feels a bit preemptive. Um, but you know what, uh, like on a positive note, I think there's so much that I uh, am so grateful for because of this. Uh, we get to have breakfast, lunch and dinner together as a family. We get to... Mm. I haven't traveled since the beginning of March. I, I can't remember the last time that I didn't get on a plane for, you know, uh, two months. Um, there's there's so much good that's come of this for our family. Um, and I'm sure, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm not thinking about the people who haven't um, been as lucky and they've been affected by this. But, you know, you can only take what you can take from it. And I feel very, very grateful that there's so many things that I've learned, the perspective that I've taken from this of the things that are important to me. Um, and th- those are things that I want to keep once we go back to, quote, unquote, whatever the new normal is. That's a the way you look at it, though, mate, it's spot on. Like, the, yeah, there's lots of things that we can't do. Like, you know, there's, but, and not to be cliched and say perspective, but all the, well, this is in your situation, control the controllables. And yeah, like I've, I've learned, not that I was a bad cook before this, but I've had to cook more, you know, and sort of, you know, embrace the so slow cook a lot. But I know that, it's confirmed that you're a bad cook. Is that what you're saying? No, no, but if there's like a <laughs> Master Chef slow cooker edition, I'll be right in there. I heard, know, I heard the, last, the, the uh, I heard last episode. You, you know, you threw the dal in there, and you, you've, you know, you've, yep. you've, you've thrown around some, some pretty good dishes there. Uh, maybe you should uh, add some extra content um, for, for your biggest fans, and, and do the cookbook or send some recipes out, just to, you know, a bit extra content for people. ISO cookbook or COVID cookbook? 
Yeah. What I what I probably would would recommend as well is you know be be thrifty on the recipes with the lentils in them when you're in like a small <laughs> apartment space as well. But um, you know, oh, you, 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 you live and learn. Well, yeah. so so on that topic, we we've got a you know we've got a, a, a nice house here and uh, we feel very lucky to to have a, a space we enjoy. But uh, my wife had read something about. Um, biomes and microbiomes and probiotics being something that they found people who had you know had passed through covid um had issues with biome microbiomes in there whatever i'm butchering it but so she ordered us these probiotics uh you start with one a day you you end up on two a day and i honestly have not been to the bathroom more than i have in the last two weeks uh so don't worry about the lentils, mate. Worry about those these bloody probiotics that uh, that I'm taking that I spend three quarters of my day in the bathroom. Yeah, look, <laughs> when you're going to be home, you want to use all, all of the all of the houses in the room. You know, like you bought the house, you want to use every one of them, mate. So uh, yeah, I'm getting pushed further and further downstairs to the the basement bathroom. And it's funny because we have a daughter as well, who's you know she's potty trained now, but she it's a it's the funniest thing ever talking about poop and stuff. So she she really really enjoys uh, all of the poop talk, which which I'm all for. I'm I'm all into it. Yep. No, it's it's fair enough. How are you finding? So, given that your, you know, your your news sources are altered, I suppose, uh, and you've got to go seek it out. How's things on the socials for you, mate? You spending much time on the socials at the minute? Um, I, I'm a big Instagram fan. I love Instagram. I love it for <laughs> connecting with people. Hates a like. Hate, Absolutely I hates a like. Love a like. I love a like. I love a. I love the clappy hands in a story. Um, or the love heart eyes. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan can of that. You, can you open your phone now and just tell me what your most used emojis are? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Um, all right. Emojis. Uh, now, is it is it down? Do they go down? The most used. Let's, let's just say uh, down. Yeah. All right. We'll, yeah, we'll I say think that. so. Yeah, we'll say down. So yeah. we have a. We have a cry, cry eyes, like the laugh out loud, <laughs> the, cry, laugh. the cry guy. We have a, a love heart, a red, big, throbbing red love heart. We have the yeah. wavy hand, like the, the guy waving. We have yeah. the, the thanks, the prayer, like thank you, namaste. Oh, so that's not high five. No. That's, in your house, that's the thanks. That's the preach. That's the, yeah, yeah. Is that a high five to you? Your dream. You, no, um, you know what? This is Straight the as this happens, mate. This is the we'll namaste. I'll be putting something on Instagram going, does this mean namaste or high five? Yeah, put a, put a, we should do that before the end of the show if you can do that and we can. The thing is, though, now, and it's great, social media connects people and stuff, but I'm, we're seeing a lot of people, maybe a touch of like the older generation, who have now finally decided to get onto social media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and they're quite new to it, and they're posting stuff that's probably been and gone maybe five, six, seven years ago. And uh, I believe it or not, I've given up judgment of how people use social media because uh, yeah, there's some ridiculous things that get shared, um, particularly on Facebook, particularly from uh, people that I know and love. And I, you just have to, you just have to <laughs> understand that uh, people are people. And uh, and I, back to your question, I do love a like on Instagram. I also have spent. Um, 
I've made a habit of trying to laugh every day. So my daughter and I do this joke of the day. Uh, oh, I've stopped. Yeah. I've stopped putting them on Instagram because, um, just because. But uh, we do it every day. We we do a joke of the day, and it's usually a dad joke. She started trying to tell her own, and they're even funnier because she's three years old and she doesn't quite get how a joke works, but she does her best. Um, but I've also tried to find some like funny articles. So I found these really mm. interesting things on Facebook that I'll do kind of one a day. Um, those like listicles of, of funny stuff and funny tweets. And I just have a little, like a little giggle. And usually it's when I'm, you know, in the bathroom cause I had another hit of probiotic. Um, so, yeah. so usually it's <laughs> gives me a chance to catch up on some, some lols, some laugh out louds. Yeah, look, or well, you know, if you put put any any content that's no good, Matt, I'll be off you. Yeah, but that, that, I don't usually that won't be. I don't usually reshare. I just it's it's kind of personal. Just giggle along, and then 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 we're off then we're off the races. It's always good. Well, that's okay though, mate, because you know, safe to say, when I first met you, I was off you, <laughs> and the and the feeling was mutual as well. Uh, I'm glad we went there. So Dusty and I have known each other for quite a while. Um, I'm just taking over here, by the way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, lead thanks. in. Welcome um, to the uh, Trav McKenzie <laughs> show. Trav McKenzie show. Um, we've known each other for quite a while, probably ten plus years now. Um, and I, I kind of said it tongue in cheek earlier, but um, I would show up anywhere, anytime for you, Dusty. You're, you're one of my best mates, and you've done the same for me. And it probably didn't start out that way um i you had been in toronto before me um you'd gone back to australia uh i rolled up in town as the alpha i've been uh, uh what's it called when you get kicked out of a country <laughs> uh you got deported didn't you deported sorry yeah, yeah. so left is a, a polite way to put it thank you yeah um so i rolled in as the alpha in toronto the the big dog the alpha alpha male in town and then and then here's this guy, Dusty, comes back. Everyone's like, oh, it's so great. Dusty's back in town. Oh, I love Dusty. Surely Dusty they this, talked Dusty about Dusty me that. when after I was gone, though. You know, it was my yeah, name. Yeah. Were you just suppressing the name while I was away? I didn't really listen, honestly. I just uh, <laughs> just usually just walk around with the, the headphones in, just <laughs> paying attention to myself. Uh, but I, yeah, so Dusty's coming back to town, and I, I had to size you up and kind of make you work for my friendship. Um so yeah, you, you you know you did a good job. It took you a little while, but uh, I don't know what actually cracked me, but something cracked at some point, and uh, here we are. Mate, you wouldn't have thought it would have got here though. You talk about be there anywhere, anytime for me, but uh, <laughs> there was a time where you weren't. You know, I think when we got we end up working at the same place and thrust together, teaching footy clinics in some schools, and we I'm not sure what we, if it was we packed our own lunch or. Went and got something from the tuck shop, and uh, we we're sitting in the car, you know, waiting for the afternoon session. I said, "Oh, mate, this is so, what do you, uh, what do you, how long you been here for? You know, play a bit of footy." And you just had a look at me and said, "Oh, look, yeah, thanks, mate. I'm just probably going to have a nap, I think." And uh, <laughs> just <laughs> fell asleep on me, mate. I was like, "Oh, good." Oh. Yeah, so I just played with the air conditioning for about twenty minutes it, or something because I'm sure you didn't want the radio too loud. This is a true story. I actually said, "I'm oh, mate. I'm just going to have a bit of a nap here." I'm at, I'm and that. I want to add some some clarity to this because part of it was I was just sizing you up, but part of it is I'm I'm the probably the world's biggest fan of a nap and any opportunity I can get <laughs> to take a nap, I will take it. And I've been severely robbed of naps since you have kids. It's mm. pretty much impossible. So, um, 
Yeah, I he think was starting in earnest. I think this would be, I was trying to trying to bank a couple of naps. I reckon, knowing that <laughs> one day I may have kids. Well, we we definitely bonded after that, and <laughs> I think the you know, and that was definitely over like over beers, over work, you know, shared experiences, and I think I like I you know openly say like for anyone who's gone from Australia to play footy in Canada, which is not. I don't think why we went there specifically, but we kind of fell into footy there. And, you know, you you see the competition you're playing against. And this is, to give some context, there's some guys who've never played football before in their lives and they're picking up a footy. So you're playing against them. So you kind of stand out a little bit, you know, and it's hard not to think that you're going okay, you know, with the, your footy over there. But then when you rolled up and you'd played with some, with some big names and that sort of stuff, I've sort of crept back into my box a little bit and, you know, we end up playing in the same team and, you know, me having to kick the ball to you and say, Dust, Come on, mate. just need them here, mate, put yeah. my hands up. You know, I think it was every game. Like I said, oh, sorry, mate. You go, oh, that's okay, mate. Just don't do it again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, uh, uh, I felt like I, it's funny because, I, you know, you kind of talked, I, I played footy at a pretty high level when I was a kid and, um, I have some, you know, I have some funny stories I'll be able to share. But I, I kind of went to Toronto not really knowing what it was going to be like. You know, I wasn't there to play footy specifically. I, I, you know, the goal was or the, the idea was to spend a year there, kind of working abroad and spending some time abroad. And um, you know, footy is a good way to meet people. Um, you know, you're automatically kind of got a bunch of mates um, at a footy club. So that there was a good way to meet people, but I kind of went there with the attitude of um, you have to kind of show that you you have some talent or some skills. You can't just kind of go there and be a I don't know. I, I took it very seriously because I wanted to also <laughs> show you know we had it was competitive. I'm a I'm a competitor. I love to play. I love to win, and you know that's something that's always been a part of my life. But I yeah I kind of took it seriously on the field training maybe not lots of beers before and after but on the field it was it was definitely white line fever all over again um whether or not you're playing against someone who's never played before or someone who has played a bit in australia but i really kind of took it as seriously as i possibly could when i was on the field and yeah i demanded a lot of my teammates like uh like a a a good leader should yep no that's uh, that's fair i think the the thing that I, I did, like the, the change I found, and I think, yeah, we eventually I sorted myself out and, you know, I'm sure I laced you out a, at least a couple of times, you know. Um, Maybe. You know, before, uh, you know, the Falcon King, Bobby Sears, <laughs> came along, <laughs> um, you know, would uh, would clunk a few. But um, I think the 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 off-field sort of stuff there was was probably like the most fun part. And that's a whole separate podcast as far as like the shenanigans that the, uh, the Etobicoke Roo, uh, kangaroos functions would, uh, would get into. But I think the fact, you know, coming from a, you know, a sports environment was it, yeah, you know, you roll into a new town and you've got 20 mates, you know, 25 mates, you know, straight away. But you, at that point in time, like how long had it been since you played footy? Cause I knew you as, you know, Trav, the, the the footy guy, but then you kind of evolved and, you know, I found that you did it, you had this whole almost like other life as far as a triathlete goes, which I never probably saw towards the end of our time, like in Toronto. Yeah, yeah I've got, I have this kind of 
it's funny, you know, I was preparing and kind of thinking about what, you know, I wanted to want to talk about when we got on the on the call, and I think that I've had this ability to kind of segment my life for the for good or bad, and I think, um, you know, growing up in Australia, I like everyone, um, you play a whole bunch of sport, you know, we do, you do swimming, you play cricket, you play footy, you play basketball, you do everything, but you know, really my main sport growing up was footy, um, but. At the time, my dad was also a triathlete, so he started as you know he do he would do he did Ironman for the first time I think in 1991 or 92, when it really wasn't even a thing. So I kind of grew up watching him do triathlon and do Ironman. So I would um, as a kid I would I would play footy during the winter and then in the summertime I would do triathlon. So I'd do the kids triathlon and I kind of developed and grew into longer distance events and things like that. And, um, you know, I think it was about 15 or 16, I focused on footy. I really wanted to to play in the AFL and to be a professional football player. And, um, you know, played at um, at Southport in Queensland with Nick Rewalt. He was one of my best mates. And we kind of went through the ranks together representing Queensland and playing in the Teal Cup and the national championships and all of those things. And I kind of dedicated my time and my life to, to footy and trying to, to make it. Um, and um you know for for reasons uh you know being not not being good enough frankly i didn't didn't quite make it <laughs> that's probably the best way to say it um uh sorry i didn't want to laugh there yeah like I've, no it's, you know, done it's better. Yeah. whatever i did you know you can tell any story you want but if effectively it wasn't good enough to make it but um I, it was funny, I uh, used to love training. I loved preseason training. I loved the running. I loved the hard, hard workouts, probably more than I did even playing. Um, and it was 20, I think, to end of 2001 uh, was the year after I, I missed out on the draft. And I, you know, played senior footy that year again. But I, I got really, really fit in one of the preseasons. Um, and I actually decided then to to use that fitness and I signed up for an Ironman um, as a 20 year old um, to, to do my first Ironman and, and that kind of set me on a path uh, of doing triathlons for, for quite a number of years. Um, bunch of Ironman races in there. Um, so yeah, so before I went to Toronto, my last kind of year playing footy was 2002, 2001. And then we played together in 2002 10 I think so yeah it was quite a few years since I played footy but as you say I had this kind of nut other career or other life of uh of doing Ironman triathlons um which as a you know as a early 20s mid 20s it was it was hard I you know I, I, university and working and uh training but still wanting to go out with your mates so I was still in touch with all my footy mates and I'd go out on a Saturday night with the boys after they'd played and then I'd get up on Sunday morning and do a 30k long run kind of thing I wouldn't you know I'd never be able to do that now but when you're in those when you're in your early 20s you kind of you know you still want to keep up with your friends so um yeah so I had, the, had a kind of a you know a bit of a, a dual sport career in my 20s did you just switch like you as like, all right I'm done with footy because of the requirement that it was then going to take for you to to compete in like Ironman triathlon and when you did were you like hey I want to do this as a serious hobby or you potentially wanted to make it a career like what was what yeah. was your thought process there Yeah it was a bit, great question I I think I was really upset and jaded by the fact I didn't make it um and you know, I laugh about How did that play out. Like, yeah. So, do you nominate for the draft and stuff? Yeah, or? I did. So, I, I nominated for the draft, and I did. 
um, I went and did uh, some training at North Melbourne. I got invited to train at North Melbourne, so I spent some time there doing some training with them um, in the hopes of, of getting drafted. And um, I, you know, I put a lot of work and, and effort into it. And I, I joked about not being good enough. My kind of final year, my last year of under 18s, um, I played senior footy at Southport. Uh, we won a flag. I was 17 or 18. Um, and had a really good season, um, but halfway through the year, I actually had a, uh, I got a, a really bad hernia, um, so I had to have surgery. I put it off as long as I could. I had to have surgery, um, and it was about six weeks. I think it was about six weeks before the national championships. So I had the surgery. Usually, it's a six to eight week recovery. I did everything I could to get back. Uh, I recovered in four weeks to the point I could train again, um, and then went and played in the, the national championships. Uh, six weeks after the surgery and played horribly. I was out of shape. I was yep. out of the mix. Um, and I think that was kind of the, the, I should have sat those out. I think I would have had a better chance if I didn't play in those, um, because yep. of the form that I had the, the year and a half leading up to that, um, was good, but you know, you, you're on the big stage, uh, and I was poo, I was terrible. Um, I think that's what actually ended up being, and I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was showing recovery powers and, you know, the desire to get back and play and all of those things as a kid, you kind of think like, oh, you know, if I get back and play, but, um, you know, if I had been maybe, if maybe, a very strong maybe, if I had been more strategic, maybe it would have been different. Um, mm. I actually have this <clears throat> this really funny story. It's not, f- it, it wasn't funny at the time, that's for sure. Um yeah. I think it was the first year of the draft being televised on the internet. So you could kind of watch the live stream. Um, So I sat at home, probably dial up internet at the time, uh, watching the draft. And one of my best mates, Nick Rewalt at the time got drafted um, number one to St Kilda. I was more than happy for him, stoked for him. A bunch of the guys I played with um, in the Queensland team got drafted, you know, across the board to different, different, uh, different teams. Um, and then it came to the last pick and I'm sitting there in my living room and I'm like, you know, you're not out of it until you're out of it. And I'm watching the screen and on the bottom, it says, uh, Travis McKenzie, Southport Sharks and St Kilda had the last pick and my name came up on the screen, but they read out someone else's name. And I, lost it i absolutely lost it i like in tears crying my eyes out um and i've never gotten an explanation why that happened like why my name came up on the screen um and it wasn't just me i didn't imagine it other people had said that they saw it and i i have no explanation why whether it was the you know they plug in a number play a number and a, you know before the the broadcast and they change their mind and pick someone else or whatever but i have no explanation why but it was absolutely devastating i was devastated um mm. not just because my name was on the screen and whatever but i had put so much time and energy and effort into making it as an afl footballer or being drafted to an afl team that um it, it broke my heart honestly um and i I, I kind of went, you know, I didn't, it wasn't off the rails, you know, to the sense of some people do, but I kind of really was, I was quite upset. Um, I went back and played footy the next year, but my heart really wasn't in it. I was, yep. you know, I, I, I got, I played, I was playing seniors. I got dropped five times, I think in that year and ended up winning the best and fairest in the twos for, in five games. Cause I yes. went, you know, I just had, I just didn't, 
my mind wasn't in it. But when I went, you know, I got a kick in the bum and went back and played twos and, and played really well and, you know, and then you get promoted the seniors the next week and then you have another shit three or four weeks and you get dropped again. So my heart really wasn't in it. And then um, come to the end of that season, kind of rolling into the 2002 season, we started a preseason and um, for the Aussies there, um, Guy Andrews was our fitness coach that year. So Ironman, um, Surf yeah. Ironman, like, you know, Trevor Hendy, those kind of rolling with those guys. Um, and I got really fit. Um if you know, if you remember the name Sean Hart, who was a Brisbane Lion player, um, yep. in the early 2000s, him and I used to go on these Sunday runs together, and he was probably one of the fittest guys in the AFL at the time. We would go on these Sunday runs together, 20, 20 plus 30, 30k runs on the Gold Coast, and just absolutely smash each other. We were like hauling like low four minute k's, run, just running and trying to beat each other up on these runs. So I got really, really fit. Um, so, uh, but as I say, my heart wasn't in footy. So I got this fitness and I thought, you know, my dad was racing Ironmans at the time and I thought I can, well, actually here's what happened. I did a triathlon as a fitness test basically, you know, and, and won the race. I won the race. It was a local race, um, you know, as a, with my preseason footy fitness. So that was, that was kind of the decision I made then. I'm like, okay, I might be able to have a bit of a crack at this. Um, so I just went cold turkey basically from the footy club. I, you know, sat down with the coach and whatever and said, you know, I'm going to give triathlon a go and it's been great. I appreciate everything you've done for me, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to see what I can do and and give this a go. And do you reckon the, because it seems like, have you noticed given that your head's in it, that there's been say in the last 10 to 15 years, a spike in triathlon participation because i feel like every second man is riding a bike and stuff these days which is great however i'm curious to know if you think there's a a peak time to get into um triathlon because i feel like if you're doing the ironman stuff which is what most people i find to you know train for it's such a big time commitment and particularly if you've got like a young family or this or that like is it a you know from a time perspective a young man sport but from say when you hit your peak ability level is it more a a late 20s early 30s late 30s type situation yeah um i think that well now you can grow up being a triathlete when i was a kid you you know usually you'd kind of be a swimmer you'd do footy you'd do cricket or what have you but now kids growing up around the world actually can just be triathletes like there's development programs it's an olympic sport now so some kids can come into the sport now and 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 they're not doing ironman distances but they're doing shorter races but they can actually concentrate on that so i think that there's this generation now of athletes that grew up being triathletes and this is probably the first generation of those Mm -hmm. athletes um but specifically around your question i think that a lot of people probably get into Ironman um, as a bit of a midlife crisis, to be honest. They're probably, you know, missing something in their life. They want to challenge themselves, um, test their limits and test themselves. So I've seen a lot of people come in and out. They might do one or two Ironmans and then they go back and do whatever else. Um, so it's not a, you know, that type of lifestyle is not sustainable. If you want to be successful at Ironman or even if you want to just finish, there's a lot of time that goes into training and preparation. So it's not a sustainable thing for most people. Um, I think that if you want to be competitive at that distance, you probably need to have had a pretty good base of, of training from your mid-20s onwards. And then, you know, there's mm. 
late 30s, early 40s is probably when you hit your peak endurance. Um, but, it, you know, for those people out there that are sitting on the couch thinking, all right, you know, I'm almost 40, now it's my time to hit my peak endurance, you've probably <laughs> missed your window of building that before uh, you can you can uh, lay your foundation there. But, you know, you'll see now guys, um, you'll see guys who are winning Ironman, um, you know, world championships and, and races like that that are, that are in their late 30s. Um, so that's kind of where you're going to get that peak level of endurance um but they've built that up over a 20-year period well, i think my time is a he- best time is ahead of me you know like you i agree 100 I, I i came to have a bit of a you went through <laughs> this phase and i knew you in toronto and you're like you know you just come off a bloody broken leg and that sort of stuff you know and you're like i'm just i'm gung-ho done with this canada footy stuff and you're getting back and you're swimming and you're off swimming and stuff and I was like oh, I might I might have a go at this you know uh, Trav's inspired me and I don't think you like you knew that I'd be wasting your time so you're like oh go chat to Rue he'll sort you out and I went and like did did a swim with him did like four laps and I was like nah mate this is this is hard but the you know, the running's all and then I'd talk to people and they're like yeah triathlons the running's fine the cycling's fine but the swimming was their weakest leg and stuff and I knew by far that it would be mine if I was to do it and I should let people know I haven't done it and I'm not a, a triathlete slash anything close to an Ironman however I did do something rather difficult and train for an open water swim last year and for those who know me like I can swim just fine get me down the beach that's great but probably having the things that really set me back was um a phobia of seaweed um that'll and yeah that'll that'll cost just, you just generally, uh, you know, stuff in the ocean. Um, but there's a story. So I went to get me. So I was living in this. I am living in this apartment in Melbourne, and started hitting a few laps. And I thought, okay, I some a good friend of mine, like Liv Garlop, She said she's a very very competent swimmer. She goes, look, just swim further than you did every other time. Kind of like I would advise people to if they're running. So I do, okay, two hundred meters, then go two fifty, four hundred. Eventually, I was probably swimming. No dramas, 1.2 Ks, that sort of stuff in a in a session. And then I thought, right. And people go, well, it's a different kettle of fish when you get into you know open water and stuff. I'm don't like, you oh, hate yeah, whatever. People like I'm, that, like, don't you hate people that rain on your prey like that? Well, just like, no shit, it's going to be different. Like yeah. you're in the ocean, come on, mate. But also, just to be negative, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, like, and they might not even have done it. But I went to um, uh, engine. Uh, swim uh, out at uh, Mordialloc. Um, took me big fans of the shows, a, I reckon. Yeah, two and a half years to drive out there because I didn't know really where I was going. But um, and also uh, where Ali Day has done some of his best work uh, as well. But anyway, um, the guy who runs it, Andrew Lauderstein, is his name, and uh, he's an Olympian, swam at the highest level, and I get in this thing uh, called the Flume, which is like a treadmill for a a pool sort of thing. So that little jet stream and you practice. I got cameras and mirrors and things. So I was late for my session and I had to share the pool with this like 11, 12 year old yeah, girl. Yeah. And so we're hopping like in and out and stuff. And I'm like, I'm a grown man here. I'm like 36 years old at this time. And I'm like, okay. So you get in there and you're like, got to look good. So you're like swimming away. And the first thing he said, he's like, hop out. 
He's like, did you grow up like swimming much or like in a pool or near the ocean or anything like that? I'm like, nah, mate, only salt lakes where I grew up. Yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, I can tell. He goes, you look so uncomfortable in the water. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, cool. That's good to know. And he goes, anyway, keep going. I'm like, oh, sweet. So there's that part of it. And I'd committed, I was going to do the Rotto Channel swim. Didn't get that happening. And then the Bondi to Bronte was the one I'd signed up for. So two and a half K, something like that. And I thought the way I was going, I was like, yep, this is fine, blah, blah, blah. And I was looking for any excuse to not do this race, any. And I, my ego is what stopped me because I told all these people I was going to do it. I thought, well, I don't want to look bad. And anyway, we're in Sydney, did it with Liv Garlop. And she's like, yeah, no big deal. She's done these before. So anyway, I rolled up down there and I put my cap on, got me speedos on and I'm shitting bricks. Like I literally thought, okay, I've got my timing chip on here. I could just like cut it off and walk up go into knee-deep water and just walk away. You know, no one could stop me. And it'd be embarrassing. But as I'm walking up there, who do I bump into? Andrew Lauderstein. <laughs> he comes up to me and he goes, oh, yeah, I just did the uh, did the sprint, you know, the 1K sprint or something. And he goes, it's fucked out there, mate. It's no good. I'm like, that's not what I wanted to hear. And I'd done zero training in the ocean for this, except for maybe one 600-meter swim. And um, anyway, so lined up and I was like, well, I've, hopped in the water, bought some decent goggles, that probably helped, and swimming away, and it took me like literally two minutes to just get out past the breaking waves, and I thought, hope Bondi rescues in the vicinity, because I'm battling here, and then just got to one boy, then another boy, and then you realize you're halfway there, and the only way to get back is actually to swim anyway, mm. hooking around there, and another thing I learned, swimming ain't particularly a social sport when you're in the water, so the people are elbowing me in the face, oh, and yeah. I'm elbowing them, I'm like, oh, I stop and go, sorry, mate, they don't even stop, no. they just keep going, yeah. and they kick you in the face, and we pull around, and I can see the bottom, and I've got maybe two, three hundred meters to go, I thought, awesome, I'll just right, you know, catch a wave in here, and we're laughing, feet hit the sand, elation, like I've done it, and this is the hardest thing I've done probably as an adult, and I'm like, start to run up the beach, and like, I'm going to come in like, the Hoff on Baywatch here and this wave comes behind me and just wipes me out and I slide on my ass up the beach, sand and shit everywhere and then, you know, got up and because no one knows you, you're in Sydney, so perfect, you know, just run off and then got back, was that emotional, like I wanted to cry but literally couldn't because I'd swallowed that much salt water and like the tears wouldn't come out and I'd almost bloody thrown up but yeah, I did it. So yeah, if I can do it, bloody anyone can. That's amazing. I... You know, it's a funny story and I love the way you tell it, but like how much did you get from that? Like you, you know, you've probably achieved something that you never thought you could and you put yourself out there and you you, you did the work and you, you know, I, I've never, it's interesting. I, I feel very fortunate because I grew up swimming, so I never felt that. And I know there's a lot of people who have that anxiety and, um, but what you learn from that, it, no one can ever take that away from you. The, the hilarity of the hilarity of it all aside like hats off to you for actually doing something that that was scary for you well I'm, mate, honestly like it was that thing that i don't want to do this and i never thought you know that i was going to like drown or anything like that there's all this sort of safety stuff around there but i realized that we and i live in a I work at a place, live in a world where goal setting is not a, a, a foreign concept. Yeah, I'm going to achieve this goal and do this and it's going to going to be great. And the thing is to actually 
set a goal that actually challenges you. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to run a half marathon or a marathon when they know that it's probably not going to push them that much or I'm going to clear this debt or I'm going to do this or do the thing or I'm going to go on holiday. That doesn't actually involve anything scary for the most part. Don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking for other people, but this I actually sat down and thought, this is going to push me and it scares me. And it's probably the first time I'd ever done it because every other goal I'd written before that was well within my grasp. It would have been a stretch, but yeah. not making me uncomfortable. And this put me well and truly out of my comfort zone. I don't think, I don't, I couldn't, as you were saying that, I couldn't remember the last time I did something that I felt like I could fail at or I couldn't achieve. And that's, that's more on me than anything else. Like I, you know, I've done a bunch, I've done a bunch of Ironmans, I've done a bunch of endurance sports events. But I'm still looking for something that I don't think I can achieve or that's going to push me beyond my limits to the point where I'm not sure I can do it. Um, well, you, well, you might actually fail. Like you I might, might not be able fail. to do it. it yeah. Um, and that's a, it's, a, it's a foreign concept to most people. And I think that like I... I talk. I've talked about my kids 120 times already, so I'm sorry if I'm going over it. But they're a massive part of my life, and I think that like people have this opportunity when they have kids or they get comfortable that, you know, they get they get into that and they sit in that. And I, I know that I am doing that, and I'm I'm actually okay with it. I'm actually okay with the fact mm. that I get to have time with my family because I feel like so much of my life was spent um, searching for something, searching for happiness searching for the next finish line to kind of prove something to myself or justify myself or um, justify something to other people and it's actually been really refreshing to not have to worry about that to just be okay with being suburban dad and thinking about when I'm going to get to mow my lawn next because I've never I've actually I sat down we were we went and had a little picnic in the backyard today and I looked at my wife and I said Mm. I've never been happier in my whole entire life I don't have you know and I I, I train still sometimes, but I don't necessarily have an athletic goal that's like keeping me up at night. Um, the world's gone to shit with work and, you know, I've lost a whole bunch of business because of what's happening with the world. <clears throat> but I've never been happier. And I think that like, mm. I, I kind of taken you off on a tangent, but um, I think sometimes it's okay to be comfortable, um, but I don't want to sit yep. in this for too long. I actually do want to have something that keeps me up at night athletically or work-wise or what have you that does maybe i will fail maybe i'm not able to do it um i just don't know what that is and kieran talked about it on your last episode he talked about how people do marathons now everyone wants to do 100k now everyone wants to do a 100 miler now everyone wants to do an ironman whatever it is i'm very cognizant of not wanting to go down that track i don't want to be the Mm. guy that has to be out of the house for 20 or 30 hours a week training um, just so I can justify something to myself um, because I, I value that time with my family. So mm. I'm in this weird place. I think to kind of put a bow on my thought, I'm in this weird place where so much of my life has been kind of extreme. Like training for an Ironman is extreme. Doing these endurance events is extreme. Um, I don't ha- – yeah, I it's it's a funny place to be in. Um but I don't want to send. I don't want to spend too much time here because I know that there's value on the other side of it. But I just have to kind of find a way to do it without taking away from the things that I'm so happy and value that they're so valuable in my life. Well, as you get older, 
I think you we realize that this swim example for me, I was doing it a lot of times. I realized I'd done things probably for other people and how it would look for other people. This was absolutely for me because I would have been so disappointed in myself if I'd walked away and not done it or not tried. And that was the like, and it's hard to convey here, but it was one of the most powerful things. I was so stoked. And from that, I was so, I didn't care what people think. I put a picture on social media of me not looking me best, knackered after this race or what I thought was not looking me best. And I said, I don't care what people think. I'm so stoked. I'm going to celebrate myself and don't regret it for a second. And I look forward to doing something else where I can do that again, not to celebrate myself, but to achieve something that actually means something to me and, and no one else, you know? I love it. Um, I actually had a thought. I, um, so I don't, you, you know, I don't know if anyone else listening knows. I, I have my own podcast. I started a podcast in 2015 before it was a thing to do. Um, you know, part of my business is creating content and talking to endurance athletes and having conversations with some of the world's best athletes. And I think that the scariest thing for me is actually putting that work out into the world. So I, I think that my scary thing that I need to get over or the hurdle that I need to to get over is to kind of get out of my own way of judging myself or having, you know, thinking that other people are judging my work um, and just put it out into the world and put my head down and not check the numbers and not worry about, you know, how I sound or how the other person sounds or, or what have you. So I think that's actually probably the work I need to do is getting over that, getting getting past those feelings of, uh, uh, of judgment, whether or not they're there, whether they're made up or not. So... Yeah, I don't know. That was just an interesting thought I had. No, 100%, mate. The, the process of me doing this podcast, procrastinated for two years and there was no reason to. I would tell myself that oh, I didn't have the right equipment or the time, all those sort of things. And the time that I've put it together now and actually released it, given that it's been in the, the COVID ISO times, could easily have done that prior to this as well. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that that doesn't, doesn't matter. But I... I think that's a it's a good touch point and that reminds me you talk about overcoming things. I'm gonna let you tell tell this story, but you've probably arguably overcome something that the average person uh wouldn't wouldn't have experienced and stuff, um, when you were living like in Vancouver. So yeah, walk me walk me through through that. Yeah. Well, I'll kind of give you the I'll give you the quick quick spin around here. I as we talked about, I did triathlons for a time in my 20s I, you know five years of Ironman racing and probably too early you know wanted to to spend time being a kid again or being a you know a young adult so that was when I moved to Toronto played footy for a few years um you know found found my way out of shape spent a lot of time you know in the bars and having a good time and um, I was there with you, mate. So you yeah, were, can, yeah. Uh, can remember you, that. Yeah. yeah, you must have not. You must have not been eating the same things I was eating. Um, <laughs> I, but I, so I ended up doing. Uh, I set myself a goal of of racing Ironman again because I I kind of got to this point in my life where I, you know, I, I I was I was low, I was down, I you know probably had some depression, I was really struggling with a few things, and I thought about what had brought me joy in the past, and that was having a process, having a journey, training for something, going from point A to being standing on the start line. Um, so I really found joy in that. So I went back to that. I called my brother uh, and said, you know, called my brother and my dad and said, would you do an Ironman with me in 2012? Um, they agreed to that. And then, uh, so I did Ironman Arizona that year uh, and then kind of started on this process of racing again. And 
you know, I really loved it and, and found some success. Ended up going and racing in Hawaii in the World Championships and qualified for that race. So, um, you know, had had my goals kind of set on, be, you know, being a triathlete and 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 finding my way into, you know, racing as a professional. And uh, so I was out on a training ride in early 2015 in Vancouver, um, and uh, I was hit head on by a car. So I made a turn around a corner, and there was a car there. Uh, who had come through the corner and cut it off, um, and there was nowhere for me to go. So I took the the brunt of that collision on my left leg, uh, dislocated my left hip, and was thrown over the handlebars, landed on my head and neck, and and fractured uh, fractured vertebrae in my neck. Um, so I broke my neck. Um, that was obviously right, you know, and a bunch of other stuff: broken ribs, fractured scapula, that kind of thing, and got taken, rushed to hospital, and um, the biggest concern was was putting the hip back in place. That was the most painful, unbelievable thing that I've ever experienced. Uh, I don't wish that on my worst of enemies. Um, so it wasn't, it was, a, it was a while for them to find the fractures in my neck. So, it, you know, did the MRIs and took all the, the scans. Um, so I was, yeah, that was a, that was, that was quite a, quite a rough time um i ended up spending three weeks in hospital um had to learn to walk again um and basically uh set myself a goal i was i was in hospital um set myself a goal of racing ironman again one year later so i didn't want to give up as being an athlete um on 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 that mate can i ask you when you say like you you brush over well i appear to like just gloss over i had to learn to walk again and it, it, three weeks, you know, obviously in hospital for three weeks, but recovery was like a lot longer after that. I equate things to like feelings that we get, like when something bad happens. And I'm not trivializing this at all, but when I say like I've, I've lost my wallet or my phone, just that immediate feel of dread and stuff, like it's a physical feel that you get straight away. When they're like, okay, you're going to need to learn to walk again and you realize you couldn't just get up out of bed and go – what did that actually feel like, if you can describe that? Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that particular news um, really meant anything more to me in that time because it was there was just so much happening. It was just holy shit! What what has just happened in my life, and how do I reconcile all of this? Um, and so I didn't. I don't think it resonated with me what that meant, and I think I took that as, uh, okay, that's fine. Um, like, tell me when. When do we start? Like, when do we actually get into this? And I, um, I, I actively sought out additional physiotherapy. So I was in my, you know, I was in the room, and they said, okay, we're going to go and you're going to, we're going to take you, put you in the chair. We're going to take you, you're going to, you know, wriggle your toes and then you're going to put one foot on the ground and you're going to, you know, have your, feel what the, the ground feels like under your foot. We'll see the sensations there. And if you're doing well with that, um, we'll assist you to stand up out of the wheelchair and you'll hold on to the, the bars, the parallel bars. Mm. So it was kind of like, it was step by step by step. And I, you know, that they offered me this, it made, it might've been seven minutes of physio every day. And I, I was like, give me more. When's the next time you can come by? Um, because I kind of took this whole approach that I wanted to be, I still was an athlete. I was an athlete at heart. That was how I was living my life. I was like a monk lifestyle, honestly, to be this 
tri- professional triathlete that I was striving for. <clears throat> so I still had that mindset. I still had that mindset of like, let's work, let's go to work. So it was it was that basic, like we're going to get you to feel the ground under your feet. And then it was, okay, you're going to take one step assisted. Then you're going to take whatever, two steps assisted. And, you know, over that three-week period, I ended up, you know, being out in the hallway, kind of doing one-legged, I ended up getting up to the point where I was doing one-legged squats with my good leg that wasn't in the brace because of the dislocated hip, kind of holding onto the rail in the thing. And people would just, the nurses would just like walk by and be, shake their head at me like, this fucking guy, look at him, like, get him out <laughs> of here. I'm guessing kind of that you would have given him a bit of side eye back. Yeah, they were, no, they were nice, but it was just kind of like, you know, you're in a ward of other, you're in a, I was in the, um, I was in the spinal ward. Um, so there's, you know, there's people in a really bad way. And I think, I don't, I, I don't mean to gloss over it um, at all, but I also, I, don't, I made a decision a long time ago that I didn't want to be a victim in it and kind of live in the story mm. of like all the bad stuff because so much good happened because of it and, and as a result of it. Um, but one moment that I'll never, ever, ever forget, um, I was going to my follow-up appointments. So I got out of hospital and I had to continue to go back for, you know, monthly for quite a while to do checkups um, with the surgeon and things like that to make sure everything was healing properly. And I was sitting in the waiting room um, and I look across at a guy probably exactly the same age as me um, and he's in a wheelchair and he's permanently paralyzed. And I looked at him um, not with sadness um, but with a sense of gratitude for what could have been a very different situation for me. Mm. There was a very, very strong chance that I uh, could have lost my life that day or ended up in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And for some reason, I didn't. And uh, I wanted to make sure that I honoured myself and I wanted to make sure that I honoured the other people in circumstances like mine that that weren't as lucky um so that that would be that's a moment i never forget i made a decision then that i didn't want to ever have any regrets um i wanted to to really capitalize on the opportunity that i was given to live a full and healthy life i think you the point you make there healthy and it comes up a lot to me like i observe you know i think a lot of people on this earth don't appreciate their health until they don't have it or until certain things happen or appreciate their loved ones and those sort of things. And some of us are lucky enough to get opportunities to get that perspective and other people, we're not, we don't. And yeah, there's, I reckon every person has a moment in their life and it can be, I'm not going to say a turning point because who knows what happens after they have that moment, but they never forget where it gives them that perspective or that context that shapes decisions that they make after that or that they reflect on so yeah and i when i said glossed over it obviously not that i meant that it was something trivial to gloss over it was more from my perspective i was curious because of you know learning to walk and that's that's a powerful statement but yeah that um situation where you saw the uh, the other chap uh, in in the wheelchair would have been huge yeah and i think like you know i I made a decision not to be a victim, but I think I've also probably made a decision to kind of put it in the background. And I think that Mm. I potentially have lost some of the benefit of it, of that experience, because, you know, it's been five years now. So 
um, you know, just recalling that story um, of seeing that guy in the wheelchair just brings back, to me, it brings back this feeling of motivation. I'm like, okay, fuck, I want to go and go for a run or I want to like go and ride my bike or I want to do more because I, you know, I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I talked earlier about how I'm so content and happy just to be mm. okay with not having goals. And then I think about, well, hang on, actually, I have a responsibility to that guy. I have a responsibility more so to myself um, to have goals and to pursue things that are meaningful to me. Um, and I've actually, like, I've been sitting on this Medium article for a long time that I've been meaning to write about how Iron Man ruined me because I feel like um, <laughs> it's a, a skewed perspective of, like, what's achievable. Um, and I think that, like, for me... Um, I, I sometimes have this sense of like why bother unless it's like this extreme challenge. So I have mm. to like get, I think I have to get over that um, to be able to kind of like, yeah, be able to like honor those feelings and thoughts I have around like wanting to have goals and wanting to pursue the best version of myself. Honoring and acknowledging because I think it's okay to say, well, I've, don't want to overdo it. I want to step back a little bit, but then to still want it, want all these things to reconcile that some things don't always go together and you're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to say, well, I am fulfilled right now. Heart's full, cup's full, never been more happy, but it still doesn't mean you can't want for more things. But being aware that this comparison world we live in or wanting to have more of the next thing is never really achievable because there'll always be something. Always something that you want to do, go harder, go higher, and stuff. But acknowledging that where you're sitting at, you you're enlightened more than more than the average chap. I think, mate. I appreciate you saying that, and I think it's probably become even more so because of the circumstances we're dealing with right now. Mm. Um, I like I am even more content than I was uh, six weeks ago because. Uh, I don't care if I don't get to go for a run today and I, you know, my daughter wants to spend more time painting or playing with sidewalk chalk or, you know, learning how to ride her bike. Like I'll choose that three to, every day, every day of the week. Mm. Um, and I think the difference between someone who is kind of motivated beyond where I'm at right now is, you know, you do all those things still. This is, I think this is the perfect state for me. You'd be, you're still able to do all of those things, but then you are able to strap on the headlamp and go and run in the dark or go down in the basement and ride on your trainer after everyone's gone to bed. Like, that's the difference. You know, I'll know I'll get to that point, but now <laughs> I just want to go and, you know, go to bed and have some extra mm. sleep. So it's kind of, I, I can acknowledge it and I can see what's in my future, but I'm also okay with being okay. Okay with being okay, mate. That's... That's spot on, and particularly, I think you're a guy who recognises like grateful current ex current times. We do, we are very appreciative of of the way things uh, the way things are, and you know, you said before, you know, obviously professionally, you know, your your business has um, has been affected by by these um, coronavirus things or this isolation social social distancing essentially you know the world's just been put on pause and stuff but i've always been curious and i've known you for a long long time and when i say a long long time you know but 10 years at least and 
I've known you like you have employed me at one stage, you know, with a with a part time gig, you know, doing things like living social, and you've had like different jobs. Can you explain to me? Because I still probably don't get a full understanding of what it is you do right now. Like, I, if you, someone was to ask me, I'd be like, oh, he creates unique experiences around the world, you know, based on like endurance sports or cycling or those sort of things. And I know I've probably really butchered that. Give me a Give me two things, like, A, what did you do now, but also how you got to doing this, you know, maybe yeah. like the last, like, 10 years for you. Yeah, great question. Um, the elevator pitch, uh, so I started a, a marketing agency, um, and we really focus on content creation, we focus on storytelling, we focus on unique experiences um, in the endurance sports world. So working with brands, working with athletes, uh, and working with our own events and also other people's events um, to help kind of tell those stories and bring those experiences to life. Um, and you know what? I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, to be honest, I remember you know being a kid and delivering newspapers and pamphlets and working you know odd jobs around the place to to buy you know the new. Uh, vcr or tv or kind of you know my parents really instilled in that that if you want something you go out and earn money to buy it um and then you know growing up i'd i'd work on the saturday uh before a triathlon helping set up the race to be able to get a free entry on the sunday kind of thing so kind of been you know had a bit of this entrepreneurial spirit and then um actually i i lend a lot of this to you dusty i uh I ended up getting a job at Lululemon, um, based in Vancouver, and that was to create, well, to to really kind of um, continue to give life to the Seaweeds Half Marathon. So Seaweeds Half Marathon is Lululemon's kind of signature event, uh, and I ended up spending three years in the head office in Vancouver, um, you know, spear leading or spearheading that particular event, and through that experience, I got a really good sense of um, how to create a brand or how to kind of foster a brand. I get a really good experience or really good insight into creating and managing experience, creating and and managing ambassador programs, um, creating and experiencing uh, and and executing on storytelling and content creation. So it kind of really gave me a good grounding and, um, you know, part of the experience of having this accident really gave me the impetus to want to live a life that I was really proud of. Um, and that was my dream job at Lululemon. So it wasn't that I wasn't proud, but I, I wanted to scratch that entrepreneurial itch um, and mm. create something for myself. And it's taken many iterations over the last four years that I've been in business. But um, yeah, effectively, we, you know, we're, we're an agency that focuses on the endurance sports world. And I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to work in a, an area and a field that I certainly have an affinity for, but, uh, you know, I have a passion and a love for as well. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, mate. I, I love the, I've loved watching you evolve. I've always admired you and there's not, not pissing in your pocket, but I remember you've, and you've shared with me as well, your, your ups and downs, like from the time. And I felt like we were, we were hustling like when we were fundraising for remember the floods the flood yeah. fundraiser we did in Toronto and we yeah. ended, we got like Andrew Bogut to donate a pair of shoes and stuff yeah. and we you know I I I didn't know what I was doing like back then I wasn't really doing much but we were just you know goofing around and then the stuff at uh, at Living Social I don't even know what that's evolved into now but you yeah. went down to uh, you know you went down to 
Atlantic City or something like that. And I remember you said to me, you said, mate, I was in a meeting with some dude and my business balls dropped, you know, and I was like, wow. I was like, that sounds, and here I am, you know, uh, not knowing where I'm going, like uh, what I'm doing. I'm feeling a bit like directionless as far as my career goes, but I've always taken a little bit from that. Yeah, funny story. So um, uh, we're living in Toronto at the time, you and I, and I, um, yeah, I had this job. So I got um, I got this job at uh, Tourism Toronto. So I was the uh, head of sale or one of the, uh, I was a salesperson effectively for the city of Toronto. So my job was uh, to go out and source major sporting events to come to the city. So uh, you know, I, I worked on a pitch that that got the Pan Am Games to Toronto and the MLS Cup when the fir- when it was first there. So I kind of got to work on some fun things, but it was like it was not a fit. It was a it was a sitting in. I sat in an office in Mississauga, so I drove out to Mississauga. God's and I sat country in this out office there. Shout out was, to all the peeps the peeps in Mississauga. Mississauga, what's up? Um, <laughs> I had this office. I had my name on the door. I wore a suit every day. I'd go to these fancy dinners every night I'd get wined and dined and it just wasn't for me I, I saw sport in the title um, but it, it yep. was the furthest thing from sport I was you know there were so many good things but I was like cold calling national international and national federations basically begging them for to consider Toronto as an uh, as a place where they would want to host one of their events so it was it was not for me anyway so I found this I I found this uh, this job opportunity for Living Social, and for anyone who knows Living Social or doesn't, it was like a daily deal website. So they'd sell like 50% off um, coupons for your local, you know, massage joint or you know, two for one sushi or whatever, whatever it was. Massage joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, so they launched this um, a part of their business called Living Social Adventures. So effectively, it was um, putting on these events in local cities working with local vendors um to kind of facilitate the experiences but selling those experiences on the website um and the company was based in washington dc um so you know i i actually applied for this job um they said yep come and have an i had a couple of phone interviews and then they got me to fly to washington dc for for an interview um, and I had the, I still had the job at Tourism Toronto at the time, so I called in sick for this job <laughs> to fly down to Washington DC for this interview that was like a day and a half long. Stayed overnight, flew back, um, and then basically got the, got offered the job. Um, and because it was a remote job for Living Social, I ended up having two jobs for like a couple of weeks. So I was. To, <laughs> I would go out to the office in Mississauga and I'd be working on my living social job while uh, sitting in the tourism Toronto offices. <laughs> um, and I hopefully the statute of limitations has passed for any of these things, these stories that I'm telling. Um, so I ended up having two jobs for all and that was great because uh, it, neither of them play, paid that well. So having two was, was very helpful. Um <laughs> So that lasted a little while, and then I ended up quitting that job at Tourism Toronto and and started this Living Social gig, and we got to put together some really fun experiences in Toronto. It was like, yeah, I, I would work as I said, I work with local vendors on putting together his experiences, and you know, we'd do wine tasting and you know kayak kayak trip and wine tasting and you know these zip lining events and all these kind of you know they were kind of fun, but um, 
Toronto was a quiet market. You know, it didn't really sell that well, but it was it wasn't just Toronto. It was quite a lot of other markets. I ended up getting I did a good job. I got kind of promoted to to being a regional manager effectively, and my role was to put together these events in the northeast um, of the U.S. and and Toronto and. The story you tell. So I went down to Atlantic City to put together this, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like a gambling kind of dinner experience um, at, at 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 Trump, the Trump, Trump Casino in Atlantic City. Wow. And I ended up getting a meeting with their like head of sales. <clears throat> and I'm this like mid, I'm like, I don't know, how old were we? Like late 20s. Mm. no idea i had no idea what i was doing i was like on this junket down to atlantic city probably the like one of the first times i'm like got to you know can expense my dinner and you know yeah. beer beers at dinner i was so excited uh so i sit across from this guy who's like this 30 year head of sales veteran for trump casinos and he just like ran rings around me i had no idea what i was to- doing or talking about and i just kind of was like oh man i'm out of my league here like this is this is too much for me. So, um, needless to say, we didn't we didn't win the business there with uh, Mr. <laughs> Trump's right hand man. But uh, uh, I learned a lot. I like kind of le- in that meeting, I was like, you know, I have a lot to learn. I kind of realized I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to, um, I had a lot of work to do. And yeah, there's it was intimidating to say the least. Well. I like I I feel like I was obviously worked with you at Living Social Adventures. I think you've growled at me once because I told you my availability wasn't good, and you said to me, "Oh, mate, geez, that's that's disappointing." I put these schedules out a month ago, and I, mate, I was shattered that I'd let you down. But I I remember that time I went for one of the gigs there, and yes. I got flown down to Washington DC for this interview, and I thought this I thought I was living in a movie, mate. I was like, they're flying yeah. me down here, like put the suit on. I went what's the airport in um in Washington? Can't uh, Dallas. Remember. Dallas oh. Airport. Dallas, that's right. And as I'm getting off so I was in the suit, because I think it was like fly down and back for the day, maybe. That sounds about right. Yep. So I had like a suit on and stuff and I had me me cheap shoes that I'd got from somewhere. I don't know. The ones where it made me always slip over in the Toronto ice. Obviously I was living in Toronto <laughs> at the time. And I, there was a shoe polisher guy at the airport. I'm like, absolutely. I feel like, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was a cross, I, just, I was buzzing, man. I didn't even care if I got the job. And it probably showed us why I didn't, you know. Um, but we'll talk about that off uh, off the air. Um, this guy put the blowtorch on my shoes. Like, he shined them up and then got the blowtorch on. There's like, Chris, I was like, mate, the amount of uh, parts and labor you've invested in, <laughs> in this here is not worth a bloody pair of the shoes. But, yeah, that was a... I suppose that element of like excitement now, and I wish I'd probably appreciated that and taken some of the lessons that I've learned from you now to know that it's okay to not know what you're doing. I reckon half the time, a lot of people in this world, they're winging it. You know, like we put this facade that we want to be know, be seen to know what we're doing or have the right answers and stuff. And I chat to a lot of people in the professional space and when you really have an open and honest conversation with them, they will share with you. So, well, I, I don't back myself a hundred percent all of the time, but there is in the the risk that you take. Like we talk about me doing the swim before, didn't know what was going to happen, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And I think, and I can't remember the quote, but it's something about the the value can often be in the journey, not necessarily the final destination or the final result or getting getting the getting the job done, but what you learn in the process. Yeah, 
100%. I think that, that, you know, I feel like I've come a long way from that particular meeting and I am really proud of the the work that I get to do, um, not only for myself but for a lot of the clients I work with. And I think a lot of it comes from everyone's full of shit, honestly. Like no one knows what mm. they're doing. Everyone is tr- trying to trying to work their way through it they're trying to make it up as they go sometimes and i think that if you can respect and have empathy for people um and you can be clear in what you can offer and what you are really good at instead of pretending that you know what you're doing um i think that goes a long way and that's not to say that i would ever turn down an opportunity if i thought i could get there but I would be very clear with that client or with that person to say, I haven't not, I've not done this before, mm. but I've done something similar or I know the right person to call um, to find out more. So I think it becomes a an opportunity to show good faith and show um, honesty and transparency right from the start. Um, and I honestly, I think that part of my success simply comes from building relationships it actually comes from Mm. knowing the right person to call at the right time to get the right information um, or being able to connect the right people together so if it's not me that can do the work or um, you know it's not you know I don't have the capacity or whatever it is I always have someone I know who I can introduce someone to that will prove to be a fruitful for relationship so I think it's you know Hindsight is twenty twenty. I think if I had a, if a lot of us had have known what we know um, then that we're, what we know now, um, you know, we probably could have <laughs> probably could have all been a bit more successful in our early years. But so many of the lessons you learn are, are what shapes you today. So, well, you just that's that's the the value in that now. You know what you know. There's there's relatability in being honest and being vulnerable almost, and say, hey, here's exactly where I'm at, and. I think the fact that people can relate to that, you go, they will respect that, you know, this person's having a go and they might say, no, we don't go with you this time. But you, I think there's, there's that feeling of dread sometimes when you're in a situation where you've maybe fudged a few things and said, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And, you know, you can't, you're like, oh, shit, now, I'm, mm-hmm. now I've actually got to do it, you know. And, yeah, if you, you know, it's not always that easy, but, yeah, to be open and honest in the way you go about things. I think you rarely you rarely go wrong, and then you know in yourself that you that you're doing the righty. Yeah, and I honestly think that like the biggest lesson that I've learned is when to say no. I mm. have had so many, uh, not so many. I've had a few clients that maybe I was out of my depth. Maybe I didn't exactly know what I was doing, um, and maybe I was able to win the business but I didn't do good work um, or I didn't do the work that I would be proud of or that they expected. Um, And it was not good. It wasn't good on either side. They had a poor experience. I had a poor experience. It was a waste of both of our times. Um, And you actually spend a lot more energy thinking about and trying to do things that you don't know um, just for a buck when you could. What I've learned now is say no to that business or say no to that opportunity and go and find an opportunity you know you are going to be successful at, and it's not going to be a waste of time for either party. It is going to be a successful relationship, um, and it's a you know it's a Seth Godin kind of quote or an idea of find better clients, and that's been the big the biggest change for me is learning to say no and 
um, learning to develop relationships with better clients because then you're not having to consistently win business over and over again. Um, and you can be proud of the work you get to do. So there have been two really good lessons for me over the last couple of years. No, that's that's pa- the power in saying no professionally and also the power in saying no like personally. Like I have numerous conversations with some friends of mine who say like early 20s, mid 20s and talk about, oh, I've got to go do this or see this person. And that person is like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do within reason. So you've got as enough time as anyone else during the week to do these things if you like, you know, you make time. And people say, I need to make time for this. We don't need to make time. You just need to manage the time that you already have. You can't make any more. But yeah, very, very powerful learning what to what to say no to and, and listen to yourself there. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that people kind of beat themselves up too. Like if they make decisions where they're not so happy about, you know, oh man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Um, or I wish of, you know, should have stayed home or I had this work to do. Like, that's also a really bad thing to get into. Like you have to, mm. you make a choice and instead of wondering what could have been or what might've been, you made the choice and deal with the consequences and move on and set that aside and learn the lesson from it. And I think that's a big part of it as well is you're not always going to get it right, but you can't beat yourself up and, and dwell on the things that you get wrong. You just, yeah, learn the lesson and, and move on to the next thing. Speaking of, what is next for Trav McKenzie? Yeah, good question. Um, the the thing that I keep thinking about is how to scale my business. Um, a lot of the work that I get to do is because of me. So the people, you know, the businesses and clients are are high, hiring me for my experience and my expertise. Um, so learning how to develop and grow a team to be able to scale that is the million dollar question that I, that I want to be able to answer. Um, I think, I actually think that, um, you know, I've been down that track. I've had employees, I've had people kind of within the business and, um, it's hard, it's hard to be a leader and keep, you know, to, to develop a team in a small business when you also have to get in the weeds and do the work. So, I, you know, I want to develop my skills there. Um, I think we're at a really interesting point in the world where there's a lot of talented people who are out of work, um, particularly here in the US. There's been a lot of um, people laid off or furloughed or out of work. And I think that there is probably a, a workforce of people that, um, could be hugely successful um, given their skill sets that I'd love to, to kind of gra- grab a few of those people and see what we can develop together and, and kind of grow something around people who, um, you know, who are out of work. So that's the biggest thing professionally. Um, personally, uh, enjoying time with the family. Who knows how long this is going to go? We Well, we actually got notice last, uh, this week, just gone, that childcare is closed here in Massachusetts until June 29th. So we know that we'll have our, our daughter, Addie, home with us and, until at least then. So, you know, there's a, and a bit of a stretch to go with two adults working and two kids at home. So kind of just enjoying that time and finding a way to juggle schedules. Um, I have a I have a couple races on the docket, but I've you know been struggling with injury a little bit. So you know I I want to I want to find a goal, an athletic goal, and kind of test myself as we talked about before. But yeah, my cup's full. I'm I'm super happy. I'm I'm very very grateful for where I am in life. I'm grateful for 
the fact that you know everyone that I'm super close to is safe and healthy and uh yeah I'm 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 feeling very fortunate that's awesome mate. it's glad to hear and hopefully I can be a part of that that future where we when say we can travel again and and get amongst it and we can get into that uh 24-hour relay race the yeah what's yeah. that one called uh, again yeah, well, we had uh, yeah, that's we probably should talk about that. We, you had booked your tickets. You were coming here. You were, you were, you were gonna stay with us. We had this really amazing, um, you know, time together that we had planned. Which I'm really sad that's not gonna happen. But we signed up for this 24-hour relay, uh, up in Maine. Uh, I think it was a five-mile loop, um, a four-member team, and you basically do as many laps as you possibly can, one one person at a time for 24 hours. I think we'd put together a bit of a crack team too. I thought I think we had a chance to to scoop the the chocolates on that one. I think, mate, it's still going to happen because all I've been doing since then is running. So if we just have <laughs> another twelve months to try, mate, I'll I'll gladly say to anyone to say we're going to win on. our age category. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll get the team names and the shirts, and yeah. you were hearing all about it on the uh, on the Dusty Allen show and probably on Trav's uh, socials as well. I would have thought. Yeah, I think uh, let's let's make sure. Well, they've postponed it to uh, October that particular race, so I don't know if I'm we ready. want to reconvene then or. Uh, but we can do that. And I actually, um, so we talked about Maine. So I actually have a, a bit of a funny story, or not a funny story. It's a, a heartwarming story that'll that'll mm. keep people um, pretty happy. But <clears throat> my wife and I got married in Maine uh, five years ago. Coming up on Has five years. Has it been years. five years? Oh uh, no, jeez, I should. Can you edit that bit out? I think it was four. I yeah. think it's four years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, but absolutely not. That's great. We'll keep 20, that in No, there. it's coming up five years. We've been married four years. It's, it'll be yeah. five years in September. Um, and Good save. Uh, you flew from Perth, Western Australia, to New York City. You drove to Boston. You spent a night in Boston, and then you drove all the way to Maine. So effectively, it took you about... I think the travel time, like without your stops, is probably thirty hours. I'd say. Yeah, give or take. Give or take. Um, and that, honestly, uh, even if you were the worst person in the world to me for the rest of our <laughs> life, I would forgive you because of the effort you took to fly pretty much as far as you possibly could to come to my wedding. I'm, I'm indebted to you for the rest of my life. It was such a touching thing that you did that for me. And to think, mate, flew that that far and uh, was still late to the rehearsal. I'm not sure if uh, if Colleen has forgiven me yet, but and a shout out to Colleen. No, I'm sure she's listening. A big fan of the Dusty Allen show, and Bill will probably be around there uh, as well. Um, I hope a couple of things that uh, they've still got that kangaroo uh, back scratcher. Um, you know, it's still in the in the vicinity. Or have they handed? Have they passed that along? We have that, and I. So I've I've actually been doing a bit of work in the office here in my office, um, you know, cleaning it out and kind of getting it all set up, because um, it's actually a three season porch, what they call a three season porch. So mm. in the winter time you can't use it; it's freezing. The you know it's thin windows, whatever. So it's kind of just been a catch all room for us since we moved in. So I've I've gone through it all, and I actually got the kangaroo paw out today, um, yep. and my daughter had it in her hands, and she put a she put one of her stuffed toys up her shirt. Um, which was her Joey, and she was jump. She was jumping around, being a kangaroo and singing like a kangaroo song from Peppa Pig, with this kangaroo paw, which is like, um, it's got sharp claws on it. For you know, obviously people can't see. It's it's an actual kangaroo paw. So it's these thick talon-like 
scratches on it. Um, so I was like freaking out. I'm like, she's going to like scratch herself or fall over on it and puncture her lung with it or something. Um, but yeah, it's 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 alive and well. It's actually just sitting out on the on the lounge in there because well, I don't uh, think you my were daughter uh, new no, new toy. I don't think you were as freaked out as the people in the front table uh, when I decided <laughs> to introduce that at the wedding uh, that I emceed uh, with some of the, as the talking stick as some of the the speech. I think there was a few vegetarians or vegans down there who weren't uh, weren't impressed, but yeah, none none less than than Colleen. But I feel like I made it up to her because I said, "Look, I'm sorry, I'm late." Bobby Sears' fault and probably Nick Shuttleworth, either or, not mine. And what do you, well, how can I make it up to him? She said to me, she goes, you'll be walking me, accompany me down the aisle. All we need to ensure, and I'll, I'll remember this vividly. She goes, just ensure, I don't care what joke you tell, whether it's funny, whether it's a dirty joke, like whatever, you just ensure that there's a smile on my face when we uh, we get down there. And you'll probably have to... Look, I'm sure I'll get on the show at some stage to find out. I can't remember what the joke was, but I know she had a bit of a laugh. So, yeah, that made me feel like I was uh, I was safe. You did your job and you, you redeemed yourself. Yeah, it was... Uh, I'd lo- it, was a, it was a great wedding. It was fun. It was an all-time wedding. I'm so proud of it. It was so us. And, mm. um, <clears throat> yeah, to have you boys there, Shutsy and Bobby Ray and yourself and the kind of the text thread we have that, you know, every couple of days or even more recently now popping up with some banter and telling stories from the wedding. It's, uh, yeah, it was a special experience. Obviously, you know, amazing. my family, you know, my parents came as well. And, um, yeah, but to have particularly you make the effort to come over, that was very special. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, I wouldn't miss it for the world, mate. So, Trav, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you uh, on the Dusty Allen Show. I'm glad we could make it happen. I know it's getting very late there where you are and you're still uh, still up and about. So, mate, I love you. Thank you very much for uh, for being on the show and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Mate, I love it. I'm uh, very appreciative for the opportunity. I'm so proud of you as I text you um, about doing this and, and putting this out into the world and um just keep it up you're you're amazing conversationalist you're made for this um don't look at the numbers for one year just put your head down put a show out every week and uh the people will keep coming mate because you're a legend and a lot of people love you and uh including me so thanks mate i appreciate the opportunity and i'll i'll be listening to every single episode as they come out no dramas at all mate thank you very much look after yourself yes sir 